This week's Raiders game against the Giants, or as they used to say, the New York football Giants, which hasn't really been necessary to say since the Giants baseball team moved to San Francisco in 1950-whatever. But in any case, the Raiders and the New York football Giants game is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. All the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. No Donovan Mitchell versus the Hawks. No problem. How impressive is that? A few of you are responding to that. A few of you liking it. But basically the Jazz won, and you can't really engage in that because it's too positive. We need more negativity. Vixter tweeting back at me much more impressive than the Padres' regular season record, and Vixter clipping and snipping the old National League West standings, which show the Padres four games below 500, 28 games out of first place. I sent back the, why are you so mean to me, with a little kid who's uh, puckering up and starting to cry. Vixter said, now you know, and sent back the tweet, wouldn't it be great if Oregon and BYU could play this season to determine which team is the best in the West? That really bugged you fans. That led to a whole lot of back and forth between Utah and BYU fans. 10 to 15 times more impressions than my average tweet gets. And for the record, I'm always going to be in favor of good teams playing each other. There are not enough good, interesting games. Look at the NFL schedule this weekend. There's too many teams with winning records playing too many teams with losing records. Give me a big game. There's a reason Michigan, Michigan State was setting records for viewership and the ratings were through the roof and all that. Undefeated, in-state rivals. We all get it. That stuff's great. You fans, you can't honestly be mad and honestly say, well, we're the best team in the West. Now, you got a month, maybe a little more than a month. Maybe you will be able to say that, but right now you're 5-3. and three, And you lost to three teams in the West. If you lose to BYU and San Diego State and Oregon State, you can't really be the best in the West. Now, the schedule's lightening up, and the team looks like it's playing better. And if you can beat Oregon twice, which to me seems like a tall task, but if you can beat Oregon twice, you got a shot. Now, if you lose to Oregon at home, but you beat them in the Pac-12 title game, and yes, the Utes can definitely lose to Oregon at home and get to the Pac-12 title game without question. That's why the game tonight is big. If they win tonight, I don't think the Oregon game matters. They're on the way to the Pac-12 title game because they'll beat Arizona and Colorado and they're in. There is a chance the Utes could go 2-2. Two and two. As long as ASU loses again, Utes would still be in the Pac-12 title game. I mean, they'll go into the Pac-12 title game. They're a bigger lock than Oregon is. Oregon still got to battle it out with Washington and Oregon State, and they may well emerge as a team. Would it be great if Oregon and BYU could play this season to determine which team is the best in the West? So, let's peel back the layers of the onion here. Multiple reasons. Yak, you grew up in Mountain View. Well, I mean, you grew up in Orem, but you went to Mountain View High. Went to Mountain View High, yeah. Mountain View, more school than a neighborhood. Sorry, my bad. The list of reasons that this bugs you'd fans and the list of reasons the Cougar fans engage in this because they definitely poured fuel on the fire when they saw the the smoke rising and I'm curious what about this goes to the core of the rivalry a rivalry lots of people will try to deny exists 
a small percentage of BYU fans, well, we're independent, they're better than us, just let it go. I'm going to love my team, I'm a Cougar, but whatever, sure. I'm, not, I'm not buying into it. Which, I don't think it's 100% true. And you fans are like, we're over them, we don't need to play them anymore. I think the thing that this gets at for Utah fans is the fact that Oregon is currently sitting in the four spot in the college football playoff rankings as the top dog. Cool. And Utah aspires to be top dog. Okay, but if I'm a Ute fan, that doesn't bother me. But then the other... Wait a minute, tell me why I'm wrong. PK is usually here to tell me why I'm wrong. I'm really missing PK right now because I could throw this out there and he'd tell me why I'm stupid. He lives for this. DJ, here's why you're stupid. You are now in PK's role. So, but and I will run this by PK on Monday if I can remember, which is only 50-50. The, big, the bigger issue at play here with that tweet in particular is the BYU aspect of it. Quote-unquote little brother over there is 15th in the country. They beat you this year head-to-head. Mm-hmm. They snapped the, what was it, nine? It was, yeah, nine straight. Yeah. 12-year win streak. Yeah, well, I, I know all that. And that's why you fans then, are like, you're, okay, you're not the best this year. They got a better record, and they beat you head-to-head. So that... Should solve it. But Those it are the two stick, ways we decide. But it better. sticks in the craw of Utah. That's ah, a one-off. Utah's Utah looks. They're looking better now than they did in September. But if you look they at, could look really good next year. If you look at Twitter and social media, Utah fans are not looking at it as a one-off. It feels like that's just the. You that, think Ute fan? That's so my perception. I'm not buying this. Ute fan, weigh in on this. Is Ute fan cranky because? They think they're down and they're going to be down for a long time. I don't necessarily think it's that. They just they, they don't like the fact that BYU got one over on them, and they've got okay. But you can't win forever. The list of rivalries <laughs> in this country where one team's won ten in a row, let alone nine in a row, is very short. It's very rare. Yeah. So it just happens. It's a one-off. Big brother should be big brother. Pat little brother on the hand, head and send him on his way. Well, I think one that thing, was nice. You got one. But you there's got also a nice a, team. there's also a break for the next two years. So this is something BYU gets to hold over them for the next three, just because they by virtue of not playing. Yeah, but next year I've already seen the schedule. Utah can go right back to you're not playing any Power Five teams. Get back to me when you're in the Big Twelve because I saw you in it and you had a pretty good team and you still got it handed to you. Yeah, Baylor. Like, BYU blew the Boise State game. That loss, to me, is not about how good the Broncos are. That loss is about how bad the Cougars were that day. And because I've seen the Cougars on other days, I think they should have been better. And I'm not alone. But the Baylor game was different. Baylor was better. They pushed BYU around. And I'm not buying into it. It was because BYU didn't have it that day or didn't want to be there. They wanted it. They just weren't good enough. They couldn't get it done. And Baylor looks like the second or third best team in that league. Now, Oklahoma's leaving, but Cincinnati's showing up. Now, maybe Fickle won't be there, and Cincinnati would be in a different place. But there must be a little bit of BYU fans thinking, well, what are we getting into? I actually, Utah fans thought that going into the Pac-12, what are we getting into? The first year with a D2 quarterback and eight wins – and this close to second place in the Pac-12, although they blew it because they lost to a yeah. Colorado team to finish three and ten. Oof, oof. That one's. But bad still, one. nobody knew back-to-back five and sevens were coming. Well, I actually had a conversation with an extended family member of mine who's a BYU fan who actually brought up that very point. He's like, "We sure we want to go into the Big Twelve if that's what it's going to yes. look like?" Yes. I was like, "Yes, you do." Because you have to figure it out. Yeah. You've wanted a seat at the big boys' table. But it, and I know based on college football politics, the Big 12 may get pushed away from the big boys' table, but I don't think so, because I think they're going to this 12-team playoff. So I think this notion of Power 5 that wasn't a thing a decade ago is now very much a real thing, 
I think in another decade, it isn't going to be a thing again. And actually, it's going to be less than a decade. It's not going to be a thing again. But so going back to that conversation, I kind of pointed at Utah and that those two five and seven seasons. You can grow into it. It takes time to grow into that level of a program. But see, I think you hit it right. Utah had other problems. Sure. They had quarterback issues. And the passing game issues, and, issues that haunted them much longer. Now they did step it up in other areas. And in one way, BYU's actually got some lead time here, which Utah did not have to get ready for it. And are you only good if you win it all? Like, that's what it's like. Second place is a complete and total failure. It's no fun. You never go with friends and family to whatever your stadium is, hang out, watch them beat another team, and have a good time. No, It's never. like it's got to be first place or bust. Second place is first loser. I don't mind that to a degree because I want my team to be chasing the best. Sure. And to get back to the Padre tweet that got caught up in the middle of all of this, this year was great for the Padres, even though it sucked over the last two months, because for the first time in a decade, you knew for sure that ownership and management were trying. There were many years in the last decade you could say, they folded this hand before they saw the cards. They're out. Out! Out! Now, at least they're trying. Did it get screwed up? Yes. Did they have the wrong manager? Probably. Did they have too many injuries to pitchers? Absolutely. Does this team, at its core, have the toughness it takes to grind through the playoffs? Uh Uh-oh. Probably not. Back to Locke. Does it take some scars and they'll figure it out? Maybe. Hope so. I'm glad they're at least in the mix. I'll be watching next year because given the payroll, I think they're trying again. That makes them more interested. BYU, the recruiting philosophy has changed. Bronco was going to do it with gutty underachievers. And he won a lot with that. But the Utes had a lot of NFL talent and beat them year after year. Kalani has recruited differently. It takes six years in the BYU pipeline to get the seniors who know the deal and are ready to win at a high level. you got to wait two extra years for missions. They're there now. Years five and six under Kalani look different. Yeah, eleven to one last year, and right. we're looking at probably. So the 10 rivalry wins. could be more back and forth. But deep down, is the rivalry really fun? If you win nine out of ten, is it really a rivalry? It's a one-way rivalry. I'm from San Diego. I could lecture you until ten o'clock on one-way rivalries. The Dodgers are a rivalry. That's news to the Dodgers. Breaking news in L.A. Dodgers are geared up for the Giants. They're not geared up for the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and the Padres. One-way rivalries. I'm the king of them. I know all about them. You got a two-way rivalry. Embrace it. It's a big deal when you win. We play for two years. That'll just make the game bigger. And there is a chance they'll play now when BYU goes into the Big 12. Alamo Bowl. Big 12, Pac-12. I'm ready. Move the rivalry game to San Antonio. You know, they got this stuff, if you start seeing the bowl projections where they're doing pool, that's the way to go. We're, we're, I've been begging for it for years, and they're moving that way. Maybe this alliance thing, which is really about the playoffs and TV, but maybe this is one thing they could do off to the side. Pool some more leagues for the bowl game. Create better bowl games. If you're going to play them, could you make them more interesting? There isn't much debate about how not interesting they have evolved into. So make them more interesting. 
All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal, play-by-play voice. He's joining us next. Big game for the Utes. Big game the Utes ought to win. I'm a little confused about the point spread in this one. It seems to me the Utes should be overwhelming favorites the way the Aggies and the Cougars are. And really the way college football is going to go for the next month. We talk about BYU and November as an independent, which thankfully is coming to an end. You know, November isn't great for BYU's schedule. But you look at the Utes, the Aggies, and the Cougars' schedule. How many games should these three teams lose? Ten and two? Seems to me to be a pretty moderate pick for the month for these three teams. 11-1 11-1 and 1 or 12-0 and 0 are possible. Don't want to push all the chips to the middle and put it all in on 12-0, and 0, but I'm looking around like, where's the problem? Everybody's got two gimmies, and everybody's got a third game that sounds okay on the surface, but when you look at it, really isn't that good. The Cougars ought to roll Idaho State. They ought to roll Georgia Southern. USC on the surface looks good, but USC is a mess. And by the end of the season, if BYU gets a two-touchdown lead, is SC just going to fold the tent and go home? Utah State ought to blow out New Mexico State tomorrow. They got New Mexico, that hammer those guys. But Wyoming, after starting 4-0 against a pretty soft schedule, has now lost four straight conference games. Should Utah State mess that game up? 5-4 and four, San Jose, who could easily be 5-5 five and five, San Jose by the time the game rolls around, looks like the tough game down the stretch. And for the Utes... Arizona hasn't won in a couple years. Colorado has beaten Arizona and Northern Colorado and nobody else. And now you got Stanford, who's 3-5, and five, lost three in a row, and could be missing their starting quarterback, and they have no run game and no run defense. My gosh, these teams ought to be doing a lot of, running, a lot of winning down the stretch. In the case of Houston, tonight, a lot of running. That'll run right over these guys. We'll talk with Scott Reese about that coming up next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play voice. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner, Smart Rain, has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Scott, good morning. Good morning to you, too, sir. Scott, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, let's start with the big question, just because the quarterback is the quarterback, and it's the most important position in the game, followed by the pass rusher, who disrupts the quarterback. Uh, Stanford doesn't run the ball well, so the quarterback's a big deal. Is Tanner McKee going to play or not? What do you think? Yeah, the quarterback's a big deal, especially as well as McKee has played all year. Um, my gut says no. Um, that's nothing more than a gut. I have not been to practice the last couple of days, so it is uh, strictly conjecture. But, you know, I know how Stanford deals with injuries. They're definitely on the conservative side. Uh, Tanner was lipping around pretty good after the game last week. And uh, obviously, if he does not go, that's, uh, that's a blow. I mean, he's been one of the, the best you know, uh, quarterbacks in the conference 
uh, even with the limited experience he had, uh, this kid's the real deal. And so I think it would be uh, it would be a scratch and claw kind of effort for Stanford if he can't go. So if he can't go, uh, one of the narratives to this season is, well, they lost the first game because they started the wrong quarterback. Uh, they've got a quarterback, uh, an Air Force transfer, who basically plays quarterback but doesn't throw passes. So do you play the guy who doesn't throw? Do you play the wrong quarterback? What happens if Tanner McKee can't go? Well, you know, I, I'm certain they don't look at the decision that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, they have confidence in Jack West. Uh, he's made three starts at the collegiate level. Um, I, you know, I also think he's been uh, treated kind of unfairly. You know, he had a start two years ago against UCLA as a sophomore where he was the third stringer. He was in no way, shape, or form ready uh, for big-time college football in that moment, and the start was a disaster. And I think a lot of people rushed to judgment. Last year, Davis Mills has a false positive COVID test on day one in Oregon, of all places, and Wes makes the start. He played pretty well. He acquitted himself well. And this year, you know, week one, Kansas State, yeah, it didn't go well, and, you know, both quarterbacks alternated. So, you know, West has experience. He's a senior. He's been around. He knows the system. Uh, You know, he's going to be more of a game manager, obviously, than Tanner McKee. But my guess is he will be the guy, and, and, you know, do they sprinkle in Isaiah Sanders, who's the Air Force transfer that you speak of? Uh, they certainly will. The question is, will it be more than just third and one and goal line? And, and obviously the answer to that, we'll find out tonight. So after that Kansas State loss in the opener, they go with McKee. They beat USC at USC. Everybody at Stanford feels good about that because everybody loves to win at USC. Yeah. They go to Vanderbilt and win, win in back-to-back road games. I know it's Vandy, but that's not the easiest thing to do, travel across the country and win, and they do it. They do lose to UCLA, which is a downer at home. They bounce back and beat Oregon. So you're thinking, well, they've won three out of four, and Stanford may not be great, but they look like they're pretty good. And they lose at Arizona State. They lose at Washington State. They lose at home to Washington. they got a three-game losing streak. They're now three and five. All the mojo from that, you know, winning that three out of four and beating Oregon seems out the window. How did it all go wrong? Because walking off the field after Oregon, nobody thought they were going to lose their next three games. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's that's such a difficult question, as it always is, right? There's no one answer. Um, I'll give you a couple of reasons. One is the excuse, but it's a legit excuse with Stanford, is the injuries, right? Uh, you know, a team that has struggled to run the ball was so dynamic in the passing attack, and then in that Oregon game, you lose Bryson Tremaine, who was the highest-rated player, not just on the offense, on the entire roster at wide receiver. He was an absolute revelation. So your number one wide receiver, poof, gone. You don't have your... Uh, your uh, number one wide receiver from last year who's still coming back from injury, who actually might play tonight for the first time, and that's Michael Wilson. And then you lose John Humphreys, who's uh, your number three receiver to injury, and he's been gone for the last three weeks. So all of a sudden, a team that has relied heavily on the pass was down to one uh, credible wide receiver, um, which is a tough way to go about winning games. So that's part of it. Um, but, you know, if, if you scratch beneath the circus, uh, beneath the circus, <laughs> Freudian slip, if you uh, beneath the surface, uh, you look at the last two games. I mean, Stanford had leads over Washington State and Washington with the ball with five or six minutes to go. You know, they were one first down away, arguably, from being, you know, five and three right now, or, you know, one first down in both those games from being five and three instead of three and five, and we're having a much different conversation. So, um, you know, it's the ability to win late. It's the ability to win close games. And frankly, that is an ability that David Shaw has shown, you know, over and over and over during his tenure at Stanford, but it hasn't gone their way the last two weeks. And so here we are. Why doesn't Stanford have a better run game? 
One 100 back, one 100 yard back all year. Pete had an 87 yard run against USC, so obviously got over 100 in that game at 115. That's not the Stanford we've all been watching for the last decade. No, it's not, uh, and that's been really the mystery to everybody uh, because heading into this season, you know, with the uncertainty of quarterbacks, we hadn't seen Tanner McKee. The question was, boy, you know, is this team going to be able to throw the ball? But boy, we know they're going to be able to run it because of the backs that they have coming back and the line that they have coming back. So they flipped the script completely. It has been an absolute mystery. A lot of it's on the offensive line. Um, it's been good in spurts, but it hasn't been good enough, obviously, from you know top to bottom and, and throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, I think that the, uh, Austin Jones got dinged up in week one, and I think there was uh, a little bit of lag in coming back from that injury. He didn't seem to have the same burst that he had a year ago. Um, but really, I, I still don't have an answer. It's honestly mind-boggling because they should be able to run the ball with the personnel that they have. New offensive line coach this year, you know, there's some subtleties there, and maybe the, you know, they're doing some different things, and they just, you know, it's taking longer to gel. I wish I knew the answer. They wish they knew the answer because obviously that's that's a big deal with Stanford's offense. So the only thing that's uh, more surprising than that is Stanford's inability to stop the run. They've held only two teams under 200 yards this year, 200 being an enormous number. And USC and Washington State both want to spread the field and throw it. So, of course, you can hold them under 200. But SC ran for 185 yards and Wazoo ran for 100. So what in the world is going on there? And how are they going to slow the Utes down? Uh, Good question. Uh, (laughs) It's been a a recurring theme. You know, you can't. You can't deny the numbers. They are what they are. Um, you know, teams have seen uh, a perceived weakness. They've exploited it. Uh, Stanford has not been able to adjust to stopping the run. Um, you know, they they have one you know star up front, right, with, with Thomas Booker on the defensive line. Um, but they have not gotten the complimentary play uh, from you know the role players. Uh, I think to 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 back up Booker, who's you know obviously been a really good Pac-12 player for a long time. Uh, I think the linebackers have gotten better over the course of the year, but they're still dealing with guys who, even though they look like seniors in the box score, are extremely inexperienced. Uh, Ricky Mieza and Jacob Mangum Farrar, they're two starters at inside linebacker. They're both seniors. And they have played a combined one game in their careers heading into this year because of year-long injuries multiple times. And so they've still got guys who are getting used to you know, the flow of college football. And, and it sounds like an excuse, but you know, if you're asking me to explain it, they've got dudes in the linebacking core, um, and it's gotten better, but it's obviously not good enough, and, and they have to be better at stopping the run because you're not going to beat good teams, obviously, giving up 200 yards on the ground. Most people like to be right. I'm no different. I like to be right. And as I ask you all these questions, I just feel like a total honk because they all add up to, well, Utah's going to win this game easily. And yet, I look at the point spread and like, don't argue with Vegas. These people do it for a living. They're rarely wrong. They totally butchered the issue Wazoo spread last week. But aside from that, they're very rarely wrong. So what's going to keep this game so close and make it a one-possession game? Because that's what Vegas thinks. You know, I... The, the quarterback obviously is an X factor. It, you know, if, if McKee plays, if McKee doesn't play, that's that's a big deal. There's no getting around that. But I will say this: you know, Stanford has had this strange little habit uh, over the entirety of David Shaw's tenure of playing its best when uh, nobody expects them to win. Now, those situations have been rare, obviously, under David Shaw, but seems like, uh, and, and there was a number a couple years back that as a double-digit underdog, 
I think he was 4-0 at one point in his career, straight up, not against the spread. So it just, just somehow, some way, handling adversity. And I think that's part of what has you know, really defined David Shaw's tenure is these teams are so mentally tough and the next man up philosophy is, is ingrained and they just, you know, they, they get it. They play through adversity, they rise up, all, all the, you know, the hokey things you want to talk about. But it's true. I mean, look, all, all you have to do is look at last year, right? I mean, they were, they were banished from their own stadium for a month because of Coke. They were the only Power 5 team that couldn't play a game at home for the last month of the season because of the Santa Clara County, you know, goofy COVID rules or whatever at the time. And uh, lo and behold, four straight road games didn't come home in between because if they came home, they'd have to quarantine. So they were literally on the road for four straight weeks, which nobody does. I mean, who does that in college football? And they went 4-0. And that's, you know, it was that, that, you know, adversity, the road dog mentality, they embraced it. So there's something to that with Stanford. I don't know if, you know, Vegas is, is on to that, and that explains, you know, I, I don't really deal in spreads, but uh, I can tell you that you can't count this team out just because you look on paper and say, oh, yeah, they should lose this game. So David Shaw's in his 11th year now. The first five years, he had a Fiesta Bowl and three Rose Bowls. A phenomenal run. A couple 11-win seasons, a couple 12-win seasons. Phenomenal results. Now, since then, he's only been in double digits one. The last double-digit win season was 2016. Uh, everybody here, because of the Mountain West days, knows about Gary Patterson and TCU. I don't think this is exactly what happened with Patterson and TCU, but it's not so all. The, it's also not all that different. And we just know how college football is trending. Win now or get out of the way. We pay you a buyout and we give a gazillion dollars to the next guy who may or may not be able to do it, but we do it anyway. Uh, is there any of that around Stanford, or is Stanford really different? And Shaw's the guy, and take that storyline somebody somewhere else. Yeah, the latter. 100%. Stanford is different. Uh, Shaw's the guy. There is zero, uh, I mean, again, I can't speak to what's going on behind closed doors within the administration, but I would be very, very surprised if there was even a hint of, you know, Gary Patterson-itis uh, within the administration. Uh, I think David Shaw has lifetime tenure here and will coach here as long as he wants to coach here. And I think that the administration is perfectly fine with that and perfectly happy. And they, be- they believe that, you know, he will be the guy two years from now that he was, you know, three years ago. So uh, the trend is disturbing. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, the numbers are what they are. Now, Stanford would have gone to, gone to a bowl game last year and probably a pretty good one at 4-2, and two, but they opted out because, you know, that uh, the aforementioned road uh, month on the road after COVID, they just couldn't do it anymore. So they said thanks, but no thanks. Um, but that said, you know, two years ago was not good, and this year is obviously 3-5. and five, So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, but but uh, your point, your question is extremely reasonable, and I think that there are many schools around the nation where uh, a lot more eyebrows would be raised, but Stanford is a little bit different. Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play guy joining us. Uh, the Utes have the tiebreaker on ASU. They're a game in front of them with four to go. they got the tiebreaker on USC and UCLA, and they're two up in the loss column there with four to go. And they still get to play Arizona and Colorado. So it sure seems like the Utes are going to the Pac-12 title game if they get past Stanford tonight. You're covering all these teams in the north, seeing all these teams in the north. Uh, Oregon's got the lead, but man, there's a bunch of teams piled up right behind them. This race could change real quickly with the Oregon-Washington game, Oregon-Oregon State. There's, there's plenty of big games to be played here. Who do you think is going to win the North? Yeah, um, you know, it's been such a, such a, a jumble the entire year, and yet Oregon's still sitting there with the one loss, uh, and obviously is, is having been in the press box for the one loss, you know, you think that, that Oregon is vulnerable. And, and I have 
you know, I've long been of the opinion that this Oregon team is very good, but not great. You know, this is not a, to me, it's not a college football playoff caliber team. And, you know, obviously I'd love to see the Pac-12 represented. Um, Oregon State is tough, and I, I haven't seen them in person yet. We go there next week. Um, Washington State, I have seen in person, and they, they've got something weird going on with, you know, the Rolovich firing. They're, they're playing for each other. It's galvanizing the team, and, and, you know, I don't think people are taking them seriously enough because they're good enough on defense that it complements what we know is a good offense, and they can, they can win any game that they play. So uh, I still think, to me, until proven otherwise, Oregon's still the team to beat, but I in no way say this with confidence that, oh, yeah, they're going to run the table. Because I, think they, I think they may drop a game somewhere, but you know, then you go to tiebreakers and two losses here and there and, and whatnot, and I haven't done all the scenarios. So um, to me, Oregon is the best team by a hair but it's a lot closer than the rankings would indicate. Well, a lot of those tie-breaking scenarios you don't have to do yet because the three teams on two losses right behind them are still on Oregon's schedule. Washington this week, Washington yeah. State in two weeks. Right. And after the Oregon plays right. at Utah, then they play Oregon State. Those are the teams. It's uh, those four right. teams right. in the north. So, Well, Scott, well, we appreciate it. I would be, oh, I just say, I, I would be mildly surprised if Oregon doesn't drop one more game the rest of the way, but I you know, again, then, then you then you got all the two lost teams, and you you let the chips fall where they Scott, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the game yeah. tonight. No problem. You got it. All right, there is Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play voice. The number one reason to believe the Utes could have a problem tonight is because Stanford is really good when it looks like they have no shot. It's very Kyle Whittingham-ish. Get your back against the wall. Don't roll over. Summon your best effort. Now, if Tanner McKee doesn't go, is there enough talent? Because they don't run the ball, and he's the guy who throws it. So if they don't have him, then they just, they just don't have enough talent. If they have him, though, and you get a few turnovers, and we know the Utes had turnover problems, you know, it's been about a month, and they seem to have fixed them, but if they pop back up, then anything can happen. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, your feedback. Coming up next, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK brought you in part by Lee's Heating and Air. I wanted to sing that, but with the music playing in the background, the two tunes don't match. I just can't do it. I have standard jock. I can't do it. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up. It's a special. $59 for the furnace tune-up special. Or you can visit them online at leesheatac.com. Time for your feedback. On the topic of Utah and BYU and BYU this year, and wouldn't it be great if BYU and Oregon could play to determine the best team in the West? You Shasta trailer post this. I think some BYU fans read more into this win than there is. You won one game in 12 years. Yep, congratulations on one and nine. Proclaim the return of your dynasty, which lasted 19 years of the 100-year history. Enjoy your seat at the G5 table in the Big 8.4. Hold on, so we have the Big 8.4 now versus the Pac 10.2? Yes. Okay. Because neither one of these leagues, or the, the, no, take that back. Neither one of the fan bases want to acknowledge how good these leagues are and where they fit in the pecking order. So Pac 10.2 versus. Are either one of these leagues the two biggest, best leagues in college football? No, No, it's the Big 10 and the SEC. Yeah. And because you're in the mountain time zone, you're not getting in the Big 10 and the SEC. The Big Ten and the SEC thinks everybody else blows. The Big Ten is getting outflanked by the SEC. The only reason this alliance exists 
with the ACC and the Pac-12 because the Big Ten realized they were getting aced out. ESPN was going to monopolize college football and give SEC all the best kick times. ESPN's going to outflank them. They need some partners. They blew off the Big 12, and they said, Pac-12, we got a long-term relationship with you. Okay, fine. ACC, come here, you knuckleheads. We want to play games in the South and recruit Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas. So there's a marriage of convenience. While the Big Ten needs these two allies to outnumber the SEC. Okay? Everybody's a pawn in this game. Nobody's the big dogs. So BYU fans and independents have been sniping at 10.2, so you chassis trailer said, yeah, well, I got your 8.4 right here. The truth is, again, there's more similarities and differences between Utah and BYU. I'm just excited. They're both in leagues that are getting dismissed, but it's a step up for both leagues over the Mountain West where they were facing what Utah State now faces, which is Utah State should win the division, and they know they should win the division a month before the season's over. I've got to be honest about this. That's the first time I've ever heard it referred to as the Big 8.4. But I've it, seen but, it out there a but, couple times. But it makes yeah. sense because it's, it's going back at the Pac-10.2. Yeah, exactly. So it made me and I do think what you should ask the trailer is that the coming to BYU isn't to get upset because BYU-Oregon, it would be great to see that game. It'd be two ranked teams. we get like 50 college football games this weekend in the bowl subdivision and one of them matches ranked teams. So, yeah, it would be great if Oregon played BYU because then we'd have two games matching ranked teams. Mostly got lopsided games. Now, it's college football, so we'll probably get some upsets and near upsets to entertain us. This is not a good weekend on the college schedule. It would be great to have a BYU-Oregon game. Yeah, dude, this is a huge Shasta trailer. you got to bring your Ute fans along. And I know you're up there barbecuing, welcoming in the visitors, welcoming in everybody. you got to bring your Ute brethren along. Don't get all angry and fired up. Just pat them on the head. Congrats on one and nine. I'm glad you got one. We'll see you in three years when you want to play again. Or when we want to play again. Although I do think going forward, both of them are going to have these issues. It's a problem with a 12-game season and a nine-game schedule. Yeah. All the rivalry snark aside, which it will never be aside. But there's only three spots to play. And depending on who else you're playing, Tom scheduled a bunch of good games. He's going to try and salvage some of them. We already saw a movement. I think USF got moved already so we're, yep. we're already starting to see it start getting games move move back altered all types of stuff and i'm with you if this is a thing that's played once or twice every three years it's probably an accomplishment it shouldn't be we need more good college we, we, football we, we games do. we do and this one's always good we do I can't say always but you're it's, right it's Just, is, it's going to be yeah. better than most games most of the time you sure. will have the occasional 54 to 10 it happens but most of these games are awesome I'm up for awesome football games. Let's line them up. You, you and me both, but I'm just... Uh, Let's go! Nine-game conference schedules are going to preclude it. Man, then Utah State gets left out and the Aggie fans can really whine. Yep. I'm from San Diego. I can help you whine. I've had some experience in that. Uh, call me up. I'll help you out. All right. Coming up next, it's Ben. It's Jake right here, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.